Turn Up The Talk podcast, tackling mental health together. Hey guys, welcome to Turn Up The Talk. You're joined by Pat Clifton, Lockie Drew Morris and Luca Moretti, brought to you by the Clavelli Hotel and Doyle's on the beach at Watson's Bay. Today we're joined by a pretty special guest, uh, Carmen Greentree, who's just released her own book, A Dangerous Pursuit of Happiness. Carmen, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. How are you? Yeah, I'm really great today. Thanks. Yeah. That was the drive. So you're from Shell Harbour? From Shell Harbour, yeah. yeah. So it was about an hour and a half drive up the coast, but it was no traffic. It was easy to find the place and yeah. Good to go. Yeah, so tell us go. a bit about your book, A Dangerous Pursuit of Happiness. You mentioned not long ago you released it. Yeah, so it's only come out just over three weeks ago. And it's done really well so far. Lots of people have already given me feedback and saying that they've found that it's a very easy read. It's conversational. It's not too difficult to kind of get through. It's a page turner, which is nice to hear. And that people are finding that it's giving them a lot of hope and inspiration to go about their own healing journeys or to get over things that they might be feeling have kind of kept them stuck in a place in their lives. So, yeah, it's, it's been making me feel very... Uh, relieved to have the story out as well as very satisfied and fulfilled that I'm using what I went through as a, uh, as um, something that I can turn into something that has meaning. Yeah. So before we get into kind of your story and what you talk about in the book, tell us a bit about yourself. So you're quite not, well, not quite professional but nearly there on the tour with surfing. Yeah. You told us beforehand about how close you got and almost a few things kind of didn't go your way that probably should have. Talk to us about that growing up surfing and Yeah, that so kind I of was scene. I was a very, very competitive, determined, driven young girl and uh, perfectionist. So we all and, and having parents that also wanted to push you to achieve. And so it was only natural for me to just wanna find something that I could channel ev- all that energy into to one direction so I um, when I was 14 years old I found I discovered surfing and I took to it straight away and I thought great well this is where I can put all that energy and I worked very 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 hard straight away just training like learning coaching and everything became about surfing and I did it for seven years and I ended up moving to the Gold Coast because the Gold Coast is where you have all the sponsorships and the magazines and all the competitions. But most importantly, a lot of other pro surfers live there, which meant that I got to train with the best in the world. And therefore, I got to sort of like osmosis learn what they were doing and, and try to keep up with them. So I, at one point, I actually had the same coach as Stephanie Gilmore and we coached every afternoon for a few months, just were her and I and this coach. So that was, right. a, that was amazing to, because to, was, that was before she was a world champion and I was a bit older than her. And so it's great looking back now and realizing that I was kind of just shy of her and she ended up being seven time world champion. So yeah. that was really cool. What's the training like? So people talk a lot with swimming, like it's a very individual sport. How does that affect you with surfing? So now they do things a lot different. Like my son, he's, he's into the training. He goes to the Illawarra Sports High School for a surfing program. And now they do a lot more cross training, which is amazing. It's way better for the sport. They do things like uh, they have a big, uh, what do they call them? The, the 
jumping pits with the trampoline, like the oh, yeah. aerial, that's right, aerial training. And they do um, lots of weights and gym. They have, so a lot of like out of the surf training. And then they also have a lot of the coaching in the surf. Whereas for me, it, I didn't really know any of that. And we didn't have any internet back then. And so therefore we couldn't learn from social media and what other people were doing. So for me, I just threw myself into what I thought was best, and that was just surf, 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 and just like I guess winging it as yeah. like as I could, and then a little bit of I guess fitness training to sort of throw that in as well. But yeah, looking back, I think if I had a more holistic approach, cross training with more stretching and rest and diet, oh, it would have just been totally different. Was anyone doing that at that time? Like, was it were the no one was really doing it all that you just couldn't. Just on the sand. Yeah. Yeah. Practice on the sand. Stand up on the, on the sand. Yeah, oh, like... <laughs> That's enough from you, mate. Serving yeah. <laughs> expertise is not very good there, you but... Stick, um, you stick to footy, would you? No, yeah. I actually nearly went professional on the bodyboard. Down at Tenerife. Tenerife. Oh, God. So, yeah, it just wasn't really a thing back then, was it? The not really, no. That side of things. No. I mean, there was definitely technical training in the surf. So when I, as I progressed and, and went up the ladder a bit and I had a couple of really good coaches on the Gold Coast, they'd get technical about where my feet were and where my hands were and where my knees were being bent and what I was supposed to do on the wave. But yeah, it was all just surf focused, wave focused and nothing about that outside stuff. So yeah, that's, that's definitely a big change I've noticed. Yeah, and, the, and this, the level of surfing is so much better now mm. than it was when I was growing up. It's, it's really, um, yeah, it's incredible. Are people, like given it's an individual sport, are people less inclined to sort of share tips and things like that? Or did you find that everyone was sort of willing to help each other out? Back then? Yeah. Mm, I didn't, that wasn't my experience. No one was okay. kind of talking about that sort of thing yeah. Yeah, back then. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. And for me, I don't know if all girls feel this way, but I felt like the girls were very competitive. Okay. So we weren't really sort of, we were friends, but then we weren't friends. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it was definitely a rivalry. Uh, touching on the book, so uh, on the front cover here, a female pro surfer's terrifying memoir of surviving abduction in India. Uh, we heard about your story through quite a few news articles that came out in recent weeks. I'd say it's probably aligned with the release of the book. Mm -hmm. So I, I'd assume from, from that it dives quite in depth of that. But tell us a bit about your early childhood growing up and... How was it for you in regards to mental health? You mentioned before the yeah. show you had, you struggled a little bit. Yeah, so my brother was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy and that's a disease that attacks the muscles and makes them stiff and tight and slowly kills you basically. And that was, a, that was as you can imagine, like if you had a child, it would be an extremely stressful situation for any parent. And so my mum and dad, I, my, I watched my, my dad seem to be very depressed for a long time and I watched my mum go through a lot of guilt and they had a 24-7 job in first going down the rabbit hole of trying to find cures and trying to manage the, the condition and then learning how to accept it and then adapting uh, this family life that they thought was going to be normal into this experience that was difficult and challenging 24-7. So I, for me, uh, I, I'm, I believe my experience is that I'm a highly sensitive person. I'm an intuitive person, an empathic person. And I didn't know that 
when I was a kid. I didn't know those terms and I didn't understand it, but because I was that without knowing, I was taking on so much of what was going on and, and kind of almost harbouring it and shouldering it and maybe even blaming myself or feeling like there should be something I could do, like a sense of powerlessness. And, you know, there's, I could talk in much more depth about that as well, but that's that's kind of... I feel like looking right back into my early childhood, already back then, there, I had carried a weight, a burden. I was sad. I felt lonely. I felt isolated and left out because my parents uh, were preoccupied and also they, they, you know, they have their own, I'm sure they have their own reasons and they did the best they could, but they didn't like to sort of tell me what was going on. So I felt very left in the dark and confused. So I carried this and uh, it hurt and I, and I didn't know where to turn to. And when I was growing up, we didn't have counsellors and psychologists at school in the way that they do now. I think they have a better system now. But back then there wasn't a lot of support or people didn't really know. Like depression was something that was looked upon as you're making it up. It's, it's silly. Yeah. Even chronic fatigue, which I suffered from a little bit later on, which I might get to in a bit. But, you know, these kinds of things are a bit taboo, a bit like, oh, well, you know, don't say anything because you'll look silly. You'll look like you're just being weak. Yeah. So I just kept it all in. And it just built and built and built like this decay. And it got worse and worse. And I made I found it difficult to get close to people, have friendships, because I didn't want people to see how much pain I was in because I was so afraid that I would be exposed. And I felt, sh- I, I think, I, I'm assuming right now actually, that I must have been quite ashamed of how I was feeling, especially because I couldn't make sense of it. So that's a lot for a little girl to have to experience without having any help. So when I went into high school and I definitely noticed that things did start to get a little bit better because you've got a bit more freedom in high school and you can kind of make a little bit of a life outside of the home but surfing when I found surfing it was a huge relief a huge like channel for um, getting it all out and also just being in the waves and paddling around and getting to be alone. And I, I do believe that the ocean has a very strong cleansing energy as well. Like it just clears you and all of that. I just, I definitely felt like it helped me survive through all of that. Yeah. And then moving forward, you had quite a traumatic experience in India. If you don't mind, could you yeah. tell us a bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Because uh, it's really, I really hope that um, people can learn what not to do from my story as well. Uh, so surfing masked this pain for a long time, and it gave me hope. So it it, um, it was kind of like a, a segue for a while, and then in Hawaii, when I was at that make or break point where I could have made it onto the WCT. Uh, but the so I was I was booked in for this event and it was in Hawaii it was the last event and my ranking was 23rd in the world at the time and if I had have done really well in this event I could have made the CT which would have led to uh, more money more sponsorship and the ability to continue on this path yeah but because when I got to 
the contest they told me that for some reason unexplained that I was not in the competition and that I was only a reserve and um, that was a moment where I was completely shattered and heartbroken because I couldn't compete and therefore I couldn't get those points and I, I, I didn't even get to try for my chance on the tour and so I didn't want to go through another year. I, I just felt like I didn't have it in me because of the, that's when the chronic fatigue started to come into yep. the picture as well. So depressed, depression, chronic fatigue, uh, feeling like I had no more direction, no more purpose and nothing else in my life. Like no, I didn't really feel like I valued friendships or relationships because I was so afraid of them and I didn't realise that back then that I was so afraid of them because of, of that intimacy, didn't want people to see me. So I had nothing, absolutely nothing left. And I went to India thinking that if I could study with someone like the Dalai Lama, I was booked in to study with him in a place called Dharamsala, which is where he lives. He was running a course where you can learn the art of compassion and meditation and healing. I thought, well, you know, I've he I'd heard from a friend that the Eastern way of philosophy and psychology has something a little bit more special maybe than, than what we've known. Plus, I'd already tried everything here and nothing yep. really was working that well. So off I did. I packed all, I packed like one backpack, sold everything that I didn't need and booked a ticket and thought, I'm, not, I'm just going to go to India. I'm not coming back until... I want to and I'm going to just study in ashrams and I'm going to do some volunteer work at orphanages and different type of uh, like yoga practice, um, like ashrams and things like that. So yeah, I, um, I thought, right, I'll just lose myself in that and, and work it all out and then maybe one day I'll come back and I'll have something to, to give back to everyone else when I've worked it out for myself. So that's what got me to India. But then when I got to India, it, it, everything derailed completely. I ended up going to a tourist agency that was a non-government tourist agency, even though I was told they were a government tourist agency. And I was warned to make sure I went to one. So I had my mind set on, on going to a legitimate one, but it turns out that they were running scams and they, they scammed me into going to a place called Kashmir, which was way, way, way off the beaten track of where I would, wanted yeah. to go. And that's where I ended up getting abducted. And I never left Kashmir until I got rescued by the police. Wow. So how, how long were you abducted for? I was... So there was a family involved and the oldest brother was the main perpetrator that was kind of like, he was the one that's, that took my tickets, took my passport, took my bank cards and, and was basically in charge of everything. And, and at that time, it, he became in charge of me. And uh, I was there with him for two months. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Were they asking, for what was, was, there a re, was there a ransom behind it? Was there... Uh, I, I'm not, I, I'm, it's hard to get behind the mind of someone like that. All I know is that my experience of it was that he wanted to take everything he could. He wanted yeah. to take my body, he wanted to take my money, he wanted to take everything that he could get from my parents. He wanted to take um, 
my, I felt like he just wanted to suck my soul. Yeah, he just wanted to take everything he could. And he didn't care. And I challenged him on it and he said he didn't care. Was there much communication throughout the ordeal, like with the perpetrator, or was it sort of like you spoke to him, you said you challenged him? Like I challenged him at first, and then I would get, I got whacked across the face, like hit physically with his hand across my face a few times, and then I realised that I didn't want to see a worst side of him. So then I started to, I learned about this thing actually not that long ago, so we've got different types of responses in stress. We've got like a fight or flight mm. and freeze, but there's actually a fourth F that I've just discovered. And this is one that is not very talked about very often. And I think that we do need to build more awareness of this because it's not easily understood and it can be misunderstood, but it's called fawning. And fawning is when you're in a situation where you fear for your life so much that you start to try to please your perpetrator. You start to try to placate them. You start to try to make them happy so that you can actually keep the situation in a safe state, like the safest state, if that makes sense. So even if you are getting raped or, or sexually abused, even if you are getting any type of abuse or subjugation or control, that you can keep it at a survivable level rather than a um, possibly like getting well for me I actually believed that I might have got murdered so so fawning one of the hardest the one of the reasons why I wanted to write my book was because I couldn't go through with the um, to testify I had two opportunities to testify against him and, and well a couple of them and to get them thrown in jail but I couldn't do it because when I, I was only 22 at the time and I didn't understand any of this and I hadn't unpacked any of this, but I was so frightened that I would be misunderstood and that if people saw that I was trying to make him happy or I was trying to, do, or I, was, I was doing certain behaviours in order to survive that might look like I was just having a good time. Yeah. Yeah. I was so frightened that I would be accused of lying or, or it wasn't that bad and so, yeah, now I'm brave enough to come out and say it. And if someone challenges me and says, well, you're lying, I can say, that's fine. You think that that's fine? Yeah. Because I understand what fawning is now. I understand why I did the things that I did and they were survival mechanisms. I don't think anyone can really have an opinion on something as big as that without going yeah. through that experience, you know? The trolls but, on the internet yeah, think that they have like, the right it, to you, have an opinion have, on that. I could imagine. <laughs> and it's to think people can kind of have their say on it, comment on it to comment on it when you've been nof through nothing like that is crazy but thank you for opening up and sharing that I mean that would have been crazy especially you were going there to seek peace and kind of happiness within yourself and then to endure that I mean you mentioned you thought you wouldn't make it out alive at one stage yeah that's right yeah 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 wow. I, I truly didn't believe I was ever getting off that boat and I did believe that I was going to die on that boat, whether it was at the hands of him or whether I was just going to die there. But I just felt that I wasn't getting off. With the fawning, was it something that you spoke about, it clicked when you learned it a few years ago? Or thinking back, did you know what you were doing at the time with your actions? Or was it something that just clicked a few years I ago? Think like, it oh, that was was something, what I, was doing? I don't think it was anything I thought about. I literally think it was a survival mechanism that kicked in and just took over. Like it was something that I just, 
like always, it was like my my way. Like like I said, you got flight, fight, freeze, or fawn, and I think that these are often unconscious ways that we react, and we um, you know we fall into one of those categories depending on the situation. So I would say it was just my default way of responding in that situation, and so. It was only looking back when I learnt the term that I was, and, they, and I was reading it in great detail. I was like, oh, there's a name for what yeah, I was yeah. doing. Because I couldn't, even like before I got that, that term and understood what it meant, I would even wonder myself, what was all that about? And now I can go, oh, that was a survival mechanism. That makes sense now. And, and that helped me release a lot of shame because I personally had shame as well. I blamed myself that I'd done something wrong for a long time and that, yeah, that I was even confused. So, yeah, just to get to, to feel like I didn't have to be ashamed of the way that I responded. It's, that's something that I really hope that more and more people can become aware of because people are probably doing it right now and they don't even know it. They might be in a toxic or abusive situation and right now with the COVID, I've heard that domestic violence and sexual abuse and drug and alcohol abuse, it's, it's gone up. And so I'm sure there's a lot of people listening to this right now that might be in situations where they might not even realise that that's what they're doing. They're trying to placate, they're trying to please, they're trying to keep the peace. But what they've, what you don't realise is that you, you, you almost trick yourself into believing that it's okay situation because that's another part of the coping me mechanism is to so that you can keep sane as well and you can survive. But you don't realise that your whole nervous system is getting f constantly flooded with these huge cortisol and stress hormones and that over time it's not, it's just, it's going to lead to really bad outcomes health-wise and mentally and psychologically and it can take a while to recover from that you know you really got to find the right therapist someone that is really genuine that really is there for the right reasons and that can really understand what these types of traumas are all about because also in my personal journey of recovery part of the reasons why it took me 15 16 years and still right to this day I'm still like even recovering more and more it's, it's like I'll find a little piece and I'll go oh, I've got to work on that it took me it's taken me this long because in the, especially in the beginning part of my journey a lot of the psychologists and therapists that I went to look well-meaning I'm sure really lovely people but they didn't they weren't they weren't um, yeah they just I, I guess they didn't really sort of have the knowledge and the wisdom to the extent that I do now. That yeah. I, so, yeah, if that makes sense. No, definitely. You spoke about, with one of the book articles, existing as a shell. Could yes. Could you just dive yeah. into that a bit? Well, so when I... So, Kashmir, I was in Kashmir and it was on a houseboat. And when I was... So, when I was on this boat with this family and I, I'd, I'd attempted to escape like I wanted to just get out of this place and I, I, like for a long time I thought look some really bad stuff's happened and if I can just get to oh, this is this is how crazy my mindset was like and I can go I could go so deep into this but <clears throat> I was just thinking if I can just get on that bus to Dharamsala and get to the Dalai Lama everything's going to be all right and this is already after I'd been raped I was just thinking you know what I could just get on that bus and 
I'll forget it like it never happened. I'll be right, you know, like I'm tough, whatever. And I just I had this mindset of wanting to get off. I just wanted to get out. I just wanted to get my money back. I wanted to get my, my passports. I wanted to get my ticket. And I just wanted to be able to get on that bus and get out of there. And so I just tried everything I could think of to get on that bus, every angle, every, I just, like what I'm trying to say is I exhausted <clears throat> all of these options. And then once I felt like I was literally out and dry of options, then the feeling started to sink in pretty quickly that, well, that's it then. No one's coming to get me because mum and dad and all my friends think she's sold all her stuff. She's, yeah. she's mm. gone. She's not come back. She's told us that she's off on a pilgrimage and she's, she, you know, I said it could be years. I said goodbye yeah. to everyone. And so I'm like, well, no one's coming to get me. Like, um, um, that's it. And, and I thought, well, there's no, this, is not, this is not my life anymore because... Like that was, that was one of the hardest things <clears throat> was because freedom was always a big deal for me. I felt like a free spirit. And one of the, one of the pieces that I've just realized over the last, like releasing my book over the last few weeks, I realized that, <clears throat> yeah, he took everything, but I also felt like he took my whole life. It wasn't just, wasn't just being raped. It wasn't just having all my money stolen. It was like he just took my whole life and there was nothing left except for just existing there. So I, when I say existing as a shell, it's like I got to a point where I went, well, there's no point in me being here anymore. So off I went. Like out of body, gone, just out, done. I'm, I'm not here anymore. So I just existed as a shell. Yeah. When I think, sorry, talking to you now, I think... That's far from the point now. Like talking to you, how brave you are, how strong you are from that experience. I think that's you know far from the fact now. I think you've done really well to, to bounce back. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, and that's that's why I'm doing this because I want to be proof that it's possible to feel really good. Like I can I can be. I'm just gonna be honest. I feel really fulfilled, really happy, healthy, well. I have beautiful children, and I have a good life. And it's possible to, to create that even after all of that. So I just hope that people can see that they can do that too. It's awesome. It's amazing. When uh, you say the police found you, when they found you, did you, obviously I'd say there would be a bit of relief, but did you still just feel that kind of in your shell, like even though the experience itself is over, it's far from over in regards to trauma? Uh, so, um, sorry, <laughs> I, was, I was thinking about the, so many different parts of, of that, that um, question all at once. Then. No, that's fine. So, when, when, so say when you, the police yeah. found you and you mentioned you felt like a shell at that stage, yeah. was there, I'd imagine, relief, but did you still feel kind of the experience itself is over, but it's also far from over in regards to what he'd taken from you? Yeah, I get, the, yeah, I get what you're saying now. So... There wasn't, I don't really, there might have been some relief, but, but that's not really the way I feel I remembered it. It was, yeah. it was, it was like, a, I would say a light turned back on. So it was like, you know what I said, out of body, switched off, not here. It was like a light, when I knew that I was going to get rescued, a light turned on and it was like, oh, oh it's worth checking back in now because mm -hmm. I have an out. Yeah. And then I actually felt the most afraid out of any other time that I felt because 
I was absolutely petrified that if I would try to, if I would get caught trying to escape, that I would see that really bad side of this person. And that was my worst nightmare. Like, I would have rather been a shell on that boat for the rest of my life until I died one day than to possibly see that side. I just didn't know what he was capable of. And I don't know, I just, yeah. So, so I, that day when I got rescued, I was absolutely shaking in my bones and my soul all the way until I finally got to the embassy in Delhi. And that, that took a plane trip and it also took a, a taxi ride. And uh, until it wasn't until the big boom gates actually closed and locked behind me that that's when I felt relief. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I am pretty certain now that I'm safe. But then even still in saying that, it wasn't until I was on the plane coming home, like that takeoff when, when you're up in the air, I was like, oh, okay, like that's the end of that. But then, yes, there was that knowing that um, I had just gone through something that was definitely going to change my life for the rest of my life. And I had no idea at that point how long it was going to take to um, to get to where I am today. Yeah. Can you talk us through your healing process of that? Yeah, yeah. There's, well, there's so many layers and levels to that. But some of the highlights, I guess, you could, for lack of a better term, was that shame. Dealing with shame was powerful because unless if you if you have shame about what's happened and you feel like you're a victim and you feel like you're at fault, then you're not going to heal. And so, for me, realizing that I felt shamed and that I didn't have to feel shamed and that I that that, I, that it wasn't my fault that that I wasn't like I can be accountable and responsible now for my healing and for what's happened but I don't have to be accountable and responsible for what they did to me so that was one of the most powerful shifts in my healing journey and I would say what else Um, it's been very slow and gradual so for a very very long time I actually thought I was fine like I really truly thought yeah I'm I'm fine but then I realised I was numb and so that was another powerful turning point was to realize that I, I, um, I do have trauma and that uh, that is actually affecting my life and I di- didn't realize it. So to be able to realize that I'm numb and that I have to feel and have to get in there and, and, and unpack it and, and get rid of it, then that improved my life. And I've, uh, so, so one of the most powerful techniques for me that I've used in my, my healing journey is a technique that actually removes the trauma from the cells in the body. So our actual cells store our emotions and it's quite fascinating. So when you actually start to feel, say like if I wanted to feel, if I was angry, if I actually got out of my head and just went, right, where, where is this anger in my body? Where do I feel it the strongest? Then you'll, then like if you're connected to the body and you're sensitive enough, which you know might be a hurdle for some people, but it's you can get there. You can feel like whether it's in the the heart or the the knee or wherever it might be, but then it's actually you can actually realise that it's stuck there. 
So then as you give yourself permission to feel it and to actually love it and to make it okay and to listen to it and talk to it, then most of the time that actually starts to help move it through. It's, it's, I, it's, I kind of feel like it gets stuck if we don't give it attention, but when we start to give it the right attention, like loving attention, it'll start to move through the body but then there'll be another layer and another layer and another layer. And then after a while, it's like you're melting away all yeah. that trapped stress. Like that must be the cortisol and the, just everything that we hold onto, you can just melt it that way. So it actually, what I'm trying to say is, so when you get it out of the cells, the cells stop sending a vibration of that emotion. So if it's anger, and your cells are vibrating constantly at anger, even if you think you're having a great day and it's all happy, if you have regular cellular vibrating of anger, you're gonna attract situations into your life that's a vibrational match to that anger. So you have to release it from the body and from the cells so that the vibration of the cells can go back to homeostasis, which is in our natural free flowing energy, it's actually love, it's actually just yeah. peace and ease and flow, then we can actually find that flow in life and therefore be vibrating at that. So therefore we attract more of that and then, you know, we, we take off and, and our life just gets better and better and better. It's a great insight because we had, um, I don't know, Josh Dugan, the <laughs> Sharks player, and we had him on last year and he spoke about, he started doing that a lot with how he was feeling the other day in terms of taking energy from people. So he gave the example, I think he was um, driving. Yeah, and like someone cut him off, and he goes, "You have a they really." Didn't, they didn't say thanks. Yeah, they didn't say thanks. Yeah, and so you have a really good opportunity to, to take that negative negative energy on and go, "Okay, well that's going to piss me off for the day," or you just go, "Okay, whatever." Like stuff happens. So that's a great insight. Just back to the healing. Something that we all found just admirable was you spoke about the the perpetrator, and you you said that you have nothing but compassion and sadness for them. I mean, that is quite like astonishing and admirable for someone in your position to say that is do you feel that did that come from the healing is that I felt that straight away I never harbored any anger towards any of them I harbored I, I felt shocked I felt like I was in disbelief that a human could treat another human in that way um, but I I just felt deeply sad that a, a human could actually be that way like to me I this is the way I see life we are born these beautiful little babies that if we're if they if those babies are loved and nurtured in the right environment and have all the needs met and give the, given the chance to to find their true individual selves and blossom they're not going to run around being a rapist or a murderer or a thief they're not gonna do that. They're gonna be wanting to just be a good person. So something really must have went really wrong for this group of people, like people like this to, to be this way, you know? And, and I believe that they've suffered from traumas. They've probably been extremely poor. It, it, maybe it's been passed down from generations. I mean, they didn't live in a very nice place. I, I just. I don't know, I, can't, I don't feel like I have the kind of heart that can go to a place where I can, I don't like the feeling of hate, it just doesn't work for me, it doesn't feel right, you know, yeah. we're all, I, I sort of feel like 
the end of the day, we all come from the same place. We're all we, we're all going to the same place. You you mentioned how traumatic it was, and for people listening who have gone through a physical, emotional, mental kind of abusive situation, you did mention what helped you in your healing. If you could just kind of give three, say, tips or advice of what really helped you, what would they be? The first thing that pops into my mind is that I would choose really carefully as to who you talk to. Because I made a lot of mistakes choosing the wrong people to open up to. And so I would, I would work on loving yourself first enough to, to know how to choose someone that feels safe and loving to start the healing journey. Like treat, treat it sacred. Yeah. So, so if, if you're holding stuff in and you, don't, you are afraid to, to heal it, you are afraid to go there and share it, then hold that sacred because that is important to you and then love yourself enough to go, right, well, I, I will share it, I will look for healing, but I'll give myself the permission to find someone that I truly believe is being loving and unconditionally um, accepting and safe. So that's, that's the first thing I'd do. Secondly, I would, I would definitely like to, to highlight that if someone does something, we live, like law of attraction is pretty pop- popular and I think there's a few things that go around in the new age spiritual circles where it can be a little dangerous and it's like, oh, well, you caused that to happen to you because you vibrated at that and so therefore you get what you deserve and it's your fault. And look, I don't even, I, I even want to entertain whether that's right or wrong. I would just like to say that if, you, if someone does something to you like stabs you or robs you or rapes you, they have to be accountable for their actions. That's not okay. It's just, just give yourself permission to, to acknowledge that, you, that it doesn't matter what you were vibrating at, whether you, whether you were going through a, 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 like the Epstein girls, you know, they were vulnerable girls. Um, doesn't matter if they were vulnerable girls. It's not their fault that they were vulnerable. Yeah. Stop shaming the victim and saying that, well, they, they, they deserve that because they were already of a low vibration. That, that just make it very clear in your mind that just because you're going through a tough time does not mean you deserve to have bad things happen to you. And so therefore, just being able to separate the two and going, okay, I'm responsible and accountable for my healing and myself now, but I'm not responsible and accountable for what other people do to me. They're, yeah. they're responsible and accountable for that. So that takes a lot of the shame away and gives gives a lot of the compassion and love back to because I had, it was almost like I had more compassion for them than myself initially. So I, that was a, that was something that I would like to say is have compassion for yourself. Make sure that that's a first. And then the last tip I would probably say is make whatever you like. Give yourself space to feel. And it might be really scary and it might be really hard and you might think that you're going to die if you feel the feelings that you feel. But it, you won't. You won't actually, it won't actually hurt you to feel your feelings. And when you feel... So, so sometimes we might think, and I've, I've thought this and I believe a lot of people think this, is if you feel your rage or hurt, 
or pain that it's going to be overwhelming or overbearing and it's going to make you want to do something that you're going to regret. Well, the thing is, if you don't feel it, you're going to create a blockage. So what it's like it's almost like a, a mind trick it's like the opposite happens if you actually give yourself permission to fully feel that emotion you actually don't if you, if you can do it with love and and give it make it safe and make it okay and don't make it wrong you even if you if if like you start to think oh well i hate that person i want to do this and i want to do that you're less likely to actually go and do it because you're like oh i'm just going to give myself permission to, to make that okay and valid, just validate that I feel that way. And then it'll start to soften and move through you. So, so just letting yourself move through those emotions rather than trying to push those emotions away because that, that's where we get into trouble. And that's where people probably end up wanting to kill themselves because they push away their feelings because they probably think that it's not tough to feel the way that they feel, it's probably not manly or it's probably, or, or girls might think it's, it's not polite to be angry, but it, all of that's just crap. We, yeah. we, we have, we're, hum, we're human beings and our emotions range from bliss, nirvana, joy, ecstasy, all the way down to depression, grief, sadness, and they're all normal and they're all healthy and they're all part of males, females' experiences it doesn't matter what colour your skin is. It's we're all that's actually that's actually our guidance system, and when we often perceive negative emotions as n like negative because they're called negative emotions, but I don't I don't look at them as bad. I look at them as oh I'm feeling really pissed off today, right? Well, what is it trying to tell me? It's and then and then I like talk to it, and then I'll find that well it's trying to tell me that I really want this and I don't want that and that that's okay. And so now I'm just gonna, uh, I've just learned about something. And so it's actually a good thing that I felt pissed off. Yeah. So that's, uh, yeah, I hope that makes sense, but yeah. No, 100%. So your book, A Dangerous Pursuit of Happiness, <coughs> for those that can see. So tell us a bit about where we could find that online, in stores. I'm hoping to get it in Dimmix really soon it, but it is you can order it through Dimix but you can order it through my website which is carmengreentree.com and on the website you, it's got the links for the book depository and the reason why I've got it on the book depository is because they do free worldwide shipping yeah okay but it does pay to go onto some of the other sites like Amazon or the book booktopia because every now and then there's different specials as well so you just kind of it pays to just sort of have a look at the different sites and see which one's the best value at the time yeah and can you get that link through your Instagram or something like that? Uh, it's on the website, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, uh, and yeah, yeah. Just at Carmen Greentree. Yeah, CarmenGreentree.com. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing that story. I mean, I think I speak on behalf of the boys. That was amazing. Like, yeah, that yeah. was inspirational. And for you to talk so comfortably about that topic, I mean, you've come a long way, obviously. So congratulations and. Thank you very much for sharing that. Yeah, it's just my pleasure and thank you boys because you're getting you're giving me the platform to actually reach as many people to hear my message and that's that's what it's all about. Very strong message as well. Yeah. yeah. So thank you both. So make thank sure to all. check out her book and uh, once again thanks to the Chloe Hotel and what uh, Doyle's on the beach down at Watson's Bay, get all your seafood sorted. Get the sponsor name right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, thanks for tuning in guys. We'll see you next time.
Thanks, guys. Turn up the talk podcast. Tackling mental health together.